Welcome to the seventh episode of Unframed. I am your host, Anthea Pockroy. In today's episode, we speak about Joburg Art Fair, which took place last weekend, from 7th to the 9th of September 2018. I'm not going to lie, this is the art event of the year for me, especially the opening. I really enjoy going and seeing all the art industry people that I haven't seen in the last year and catching up. And it's also a good survey of work that is happening in South Africa and bits of other African countries, albeit a very specific sector of the market. I think it is really important to reflect on this event critically whilst acknowledging its benefits to the industry, as well as to many of the artists that sell work through the fair. I've invited arts writer, curator, and consultant Mary Corrigal to join me in a discussion around this year's fair. We also chat about the role of the art fair in the broader arts landscape, as well as her research report, which surveys the contemporary arts in Africa. Enjoy listening to my conversation with Mary Corrigal. Mary, thanks so much for joining me for today's episode of Unframed. I've chosen to speak to you today about the Joburg Art Fairs. I'm sure you've undoubtedly attended pretty much all of them since the inception in 2008. I have, every single one. Every single <laughs> one, um, as well as other art fairs, Cape Town Art Fair, Turbine Art Fair, but also not only just from the fact of attending them, but also in your capacity as an independent arts writer, curator and consultant. It was important for me to ask someone independent to talk about the Joburg Art Fair, someone that isn't necessarily attached to a gallery or an organization that's involved in the fair, so that we can speak openly and critically if necessary. And I know Mary is no stranger to speaking her mind and saying what you believe. I mean, it's interesting that you say that I can speak openly because I think that uh, there has certainly around this particular fair been, as you said, and as I've written in the past, a sort of level of silence. But that may actually just pervade our entire art world. Um, you know, in terms of uh, festivals, even with Zeiss Mocha, for example, what's occurred there, I think that many galleries, many, most of the South African art world were aware of much of what was going on, um, perhaps not the extent, but there was quite a lot of silence. So I think that it's probably just a general culture in South Africa where people don't really feel free to articulate their views out of fear that they um, might be ostracized. And I can say as an independent critic, their fears are founded um, because um, on the occasions that I have spoken out, um, I've either been subjected to bullying on Facebook, Twitter, um, I've been uninvited from events. People have not invited me to a press conference. Um, the Joburg Art Fair um, would be one of those. So yeah. <laughs> um, I, would, I would encourage people to remain silent um, <laughs> and share their, their views <laughs> around a dinner party table. Let's see how in-depth or critical or, yeah, we're going to get you. I'd, I'd like to just reflect on it and within the context of who you are and the kind of research you're doing um, around the contemporary African arts. So this was the 11th edition of the Joburg Art Fair and you came up from Cape Town for it. Can you tell me just generally what your experience was of it? 
well, on, on what level? As, as an experience itself in that space and in terms, you know, it depends what you want to gain from it. Um, I think that as a art professional and specialist, I'm always hoping to be surprised somehow. Um, I'm generally looking out for the galleries and institutions that come from other places outside of South Africa mm. um, so that I can have a chance to see something that I don't ordinarily during the rest of the year. This year's fair probably offered very little on on that score, and I had actually already um, met and seen many of those gallerists before um, who came from elsewhere, that is, like Germany and Angola and Maputo and London. So with regards to that, I guess there was very little that felt inspiring and new. As I say, I'm not the average viewer. I understand that for uh, the average Joe Burger, which is what I feel this fair is catering for, is Joe Burgers. It's probably quite exciting to see um, what's coming from Cape Town, what art has been made in Cape Town, and perhaps they don't really get to pop in regularly and see the shows in the Joburg galleries. So for an average viewer, it probably is quite interesting. Um, for me, I guess uh, it was not really that interesting. I suppose I also, I look for, uh, and I think is necessary, not just for me, but I think for Joburg is for an average person who pays to go to the fair, uh, to have a couple of wow experiences that I didn't feel they delivered on at all this year. There, there was really, uh, I, I mean, admittedly, I didn't get into Haroon Gonzalez to see his video or sound piece. Sound I'm not piece. even sure yeah. it was the sound piece. Sound installation. But, you know, when I think back, to the the mother and father works of Candy Spritz that they had the one year, you know that was just that was a really um, fantastic experience. Not just for myself, but I could see that that people they sat in those booths and they just did not move. You know, um, so I don't. In terms of an encounter with art, uh, for me. Um, there was nothing really um, that felt exciting, interesting, if I had to say. It. I mean, and in fact, since I've got back to Cape Town, a lot of people um, in the art community who didn't make it down asked me, well, you know, they asked me the question, well, mm. did I miss anything? And I felt kind of sad to say, well, actually, no, you didn't miss anything because there wasn't anything that was, you know, visually, intellectually astounding. Mm, I think that the fact that Cape Town Art Fair has such a presence now, the people that are based in Cape Town, there's little reason for them to come up now because they have a very similar thing happening in, in their own city. There has kind of been this sort of rivalry, um, and and I would say that Cape Town does seem to be winning it <laughs> in the last couple of years, and it certainly does feel more international. It feels kind of a little bit slicker 
there's, you know, a curated stand. There is a complete absence of curating. Not that I think the curating can really manifest properly in an art fair context, because it really can't. But um, I think that you need to create a space there where you where you can, you know, introduce people to some kind of narrative or statement or something of substance, you know, that's pulled together somewhere rather than, you know, most of the, the, the stands at the art fair, they, they're not curated stands, so to speak, because the gallerists are all just showing their top-selling artists' works. Mm. And so it's kind of like, I guess, you know, what you have here in Cape Town in December, the summer show. It's just works that come up that they want to sell to tourists over the December period, and they just keep rotating them. So, you know, it's kind of just a mishmash of work everywhere. And I guess that's why you sort of leave the fair feeling sort of empty you know even though you've probably seen a lot of what you've seen a lot but you haven't really um felt a lot and and interestingly um someone made this comment to me that that art fairs are less about experiencing art and more about consuming art Mm. so I guess it's that kind of experience and maybe that's fine on a level yeah well, if, if I were to force you for an answer, what were your highlights of the fair? Um, my highlights, I really loved Sunil Achenbach's um, gold bananas. Yes. Um, I don't know what the work was called, actually. Um, I quite enjoyed the sort of pop um, uh, and pop art sort of still life type vibe and um, apparently she was inspired by Josephine Baker and this kind of um, cliched Africanness. Um, so it was quite a nice melding together of or using pop towards that post-colonial end, shall we say. Um, what else did I – I was actually really um, quite taken by Usha C. Jaran's sort of large, I don't know what you would call it, sort of blankety yes, type sculpture made with pegs. Made with pegs. Mm. Um, you know, I've been aware of her work for a really long time. Uh, I, re I remember an exhibition of hers at um, the National Arts Festival in Grahamstown and kind of felt like, you know, she's working with these ordinary objects. She doesn't, she hadn't really managed to elevate it from its ordinariness that was kind of like stayed in its domesticness. So she seems to have navigated a way towards um, creating something aesthetically beautiful with these ordinary domestic kind of items. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was actually quite impressed. I know that she did win a prize at the Cape Town Art Fair and I I, I didn't really understand it, to be honest. I didn't think the work was that strong. So, um, but clearly that sort of, that kind of, it gave her some level of confidence or she was on a path to something that I wasn't aware of. Um, so it, it was, it was, it was really nice to, to see that work and I enjoyed it and, and felt quite happy for her. 
Um, Catherine Spindler's um, paintings at Barnard Gallery were also, I felt, really quite impressive. I think that they were probably the only gallery that actually made a strong visual statement with, you know, entire collection of blue paintings, mm. which I guess actually brings me to what I really felt um, just generally. I don't know whether it was um, due to the fact that the fair was so risk averse um, in the sense that the, the stands are so expensive. In fact, everybody complains that the Joburg Art Fair is the most expensive. I know a number of galleries around the world that chose not to participate because they felt that um, it was it's far too expensive for what they actually deliver on, um, which I can understand because um, the actual sort of infrastructure seemed a little shabby this year. Um, I didn't feel, I felt like I was really at a, a banal trade show, you know, which I think is a pity because we're talking here about visual culture. Um, you're, you're dealing with a community of people who are, you know, visually driven. So it's, it's always, um, it seems like a bit of a um, mistake to, to, not invest. I think that's generally what I felt. There was very little investment in the arts, even though I, I guess that the stands that they offer to nonprofits um, are there. Um, but at the same time, the high what actually happens because of this um, sort of high fee that they charge that those galleries have to make money. And so there's very little, nobody really takes any risks. Um, and generally, yeah, you know, it's it's work that you'd expect to see. And I was really left feeling that um, contemporary art in this country has kind of um, stagnated, completely stagnated. So I'd like to talk to you about an article you wrote in 2013 uh, for the Sunday Independent about David Goldblatt removing his work from the fair in solidarity with Ayanda Mabulu, whose work was censored, asked to take down by the fair. So I'd like to raise just a few points and, and questions from the issues that you raised five years ago and to kind of reflect on them and see if they're still as they were. So a similar situation happened again this year with Ayanda Mabulu. So he had a performance with the Nazi flag um, and basically equating Mandela to Black Hitler, which he did in his Kalashnikov exhibition mm. a few months ago anyway. Um, but I guess this was just more public. And the art world and the public were up in arms and um, they were, the gallery Kalashnikov was asked to remove the work and they did. And and that was the end of the story. I mean, I think it was very late on Sunday, so I don't think there were many repercussions that could come from it. Um, but they did, Kalashnikov did put out a public apology uh, and distance themselves from Ayanda's statement. What is your opinion about the fine line between censorship and freedom of expression at a place like the fair? You know, I suppose that it kind of doesn't depend on consensus. You know, I think the situation with um, Mabula those years back um, where, where Goldblatt withdrew his works um, in an effort to really um, force them to bring the work back um, onto the fair was that it was a decision, I think, only made by one or two people 
being Ross Douglas and perhaps one or two other people with him. So it sounds to me like in this situation, I wasn't there, but it sounds like it was a quite an immediate response from the public. So it was in public and then withdrawn because the public were outraged. So it feels like a different situation um, where it's the public who demand that it's removed, which is different to the organizers making a decision to remove something because they felt it would offend um, one of their main sponsors, which was the government. And, you know, the censorship issue keeps um, raising its head all the time. Um, I guess as a writer and somebody who's often felt quite pressurized not to speak out or having felt censored by, you know, um, the public, um, if, you know, there's kind of like a mass rejection of what you say or do, um, that I would tend to feel that when it comes to censorship or withdrawal of um, expression from the public realm, that it is considered first that it shouldn't just be a knee-jerk reaction, um, that it should be a considered thing. Mm. But ultimately, and I think we've reached this point now, that if enough people are offended by a something and feel that it is damaging in some way um, for our culture, community, for it to remain in the public realm, then perhaps it should be withdrawn. Yeah, I mean, look, he is an attention seeker. I mean, artists are. Um, he's particularly so. Um, and, you know, he works in the same way that Stephen Cohen does. He presses our most obvious buttons. If it's there, he'll press it. You know, I think that performance should be more interesting than pressing obvious buttons myself. But I, I wouldn't necessarily suggest that an obvious performance be censored because it is, you know, lame. <laughs> mm. So I think that perhaps he should rather comment and respond to, you know, what the public say about his, his performance. Yeah. Um, just back to this article, you question what is the function of the art fair? And I wondered whether you could provide some answers. Well, I mean, it has, a, it has a very obvious function, and that is to sell art. And I think, you know, why I possibly, you know, raised that was that I always had the sense, particularly from Ross Douglas, and when they started the art fair, there was all this rhetoric around educating the South African public and that this was a replacement for a biennale. I don't feel could ever be and never has been. And I, I still don't believe that it is um, the ideal space for the public to be educated about art. Uh, I think that this last fair um, really um, made that very clear. I doubt anybody walked in and out of there knowing more about the visual arts than they did when they arrived, unless they perhaps, I guess, they have conversations with gallerists, um, et cetera. I don't feel that there's there's a real effort on ArtLogic's part to really educate the public. 
Um, I think that if there was at a certain stage that they saw the art fair as kind of a hybrid sort of event where it wasn't purely commercial, that it had these other aspects. But, you know, the special projects, for example, I don't think they had any special projects, did they? They had uh, Sue Williamson's installation, Harun Gonzalez's installation. Well, no, Harun, Harun won the prize, oh. so he was always going to be there. Yeah, and um, Billy. Billy Zangewa, she also, no, she, did she win the prize? I don't know. There, they, there were two prizes, few, I think. Two prizes, yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what they So maybe Sue Williams, you know, which for me was quite interesting, particularly when you think of this whole kind of Biennale versus art fair, which, you know, um, is something that comes up because I think that um, art fairs have become major, particularly in this country in the absence of a Biennale, the major platform where people go and see a lot of art Mm. opposed to visiting a museum. To see that Williamson work, which I actually saw at the Joburg Biennale in the fair. Oh, yeah, it was quite. Um, what do you mean you saw it in the Joburg Biennale? Is it an old work? Yes, it oh, is an old work. I didn't realize. Yes, I, I think it was 1997. Um, yeah. Um, and it was, yeah, it, so, yeah, it's like just pulling out something from the past. I know it was shown, I think it was at uh, the Basel Art Fair where it was a big work. And I think that's what kind of detracts from, from it for me is that, you know, it's something that's already been seen, you know, where's the kind of, you know, new kind of spectacular thing. And I, and I didn't, it feels quite artificial. I don't know how else, when it was, the way that it was uh, installed at the Biennale in, it just felt more at home in a dark sort of industrial space opposed to bright lights in a convention center. It somehow just felt at odds there, yeah. in my opinion. But I guess, or I probably would feel at odds there. <laughs> So who do you think is the art fair's target market? I think it is Joe Burgers, and I think that's kind of what's happened, is that it's become, it started out as being this pan-African event, and it's ended up being a Joe Burger event. Um, you know, whether that's, I think the idea of it being pan-African um, really couldn't be realized fully, um, in the way that they had hoped. It, it was a great ideal, but I don't think it was achievable in the beginning. It's probably more achievable now, ironically, that they sort of give it this provincial um, feel. But, you know, in order, and certainly through my work now um, where I'm researching um, the um, and developing um uh, models to track the sort of African art ecology, um, it seems very clear that actually in most art capitals on the continent, the efforts need to be concentrated on um, growing collector bases in each city rather than trying to attract international audiences. Um, I think that the Cape Town Art Fair will always feel more international because it, it offers um, a sort of cultural tourism aspect that Joburg doesn't. Mm. So I guess that for Cape Town to be the international fair makes more sense. 
while Joburg can do the Joburg Fair can do the work of growing the local collector base. So whether they achieve that, um, I don't know. I think that what does seem clear, and certainly through my research and um, in terms of what other people are writing about art fairs around the world, is that in order to grow that base, um, they, there's several things that are needed. The one is to up the lifestyle and status aspect, mm. uh, which I don't know whether they succeed at exactly. Um, rather than getting big sponsors, I mean, the, the sort of, um, this, I think they, they're taking the sponsorship too far in some instances where it's kind of losing its art factor. Mm. I guess they've got the sort of inaccessibility with the VIP thing down and it's becoming a sort of society evening on the opening night, which apparently most people did most of their sales. Okay. So that clearly works. I guess that one would need to hear from the gallerists in terms of whether they are speaking to um, and appealing to a new collector base. The educational aspect would need to be there too, which I don't know if it was. The talk's been off-site. I know they've done that before, but I don't know if that's a good idea. I just didn't get there. One thing I noticed about the art fair this year is the scarcity of the European galleries that represent African art, with a much stronger focus on galleries from the African continent, as opposed to Cape Town Art Fair, which we said is, is much more international. Do you think mm. that Joburg Art Fair is trying to position itself as an art fair for African art from African galleries? Do you think it's a strategy? They did in the beginning, but it was difficult to achieve because there weren't a lot of galleries on the continent and it would take quite a bit of work to convince them to come here because the expense is quite a lot. Mm. I mean, from what I heard from a, no a number of the um, galleries from the continent, Joburg is their preference because it means they can fly direct to Joburg. If they had to do the Cape Town Art Fair, they would have to fly to Joburg and then you know, get a, a connecting flight to Cape Town. So it makes it quite easy. Uh, for the Southern African um, galleries, so that would be Mozambican and Angolan galleries they, that were there. I think there were three Angolan galleries and two Mozambican. Um, for them, the Joburg Art Fair makes good sense, I guess, um, because they can't access really a collector base in their countries. I think the big question around this fair is what were the sales like? Because you know, the day before the fair opened, they had announced a um, technical recession. And I think that that had a massive impact on um, sales. And it felt much quieter to me um, than it did pre in previous years. And that was definitely borne out by some of the comments from the gallerists in terms of the sales. So, and it felt like a sort of skimpy fair on every level. It felt like they had skimped, you know, um, the kind of loungy areas. There was just, there was no, like, they hadn't really invested in much, I think. Um, so it felt like a skimpy recession fair on every level. Have you been to other art fairs on the continent? I haven't been to um, other art fairs on the continent. Um, art X Lagos is quite small. I mean, it's just, I think it started two years ago. Um, 
And, you know, when I look at the number of galleries are there, some of which you've already seen here, you know, I didn't feel motivated to go, but I would, I would love to attend in um, coming years. I mean, are there other art fairs that are competition to South African art fairs? Absolutely. One, 154, I think, would be their oh, biggest yes. competition. Mm. Um, but that's in one, London and, and New York. And Marrakesh. They oh, have one in Marrakesh, yeah, okay. in February this year. And I believe they are going to do it again next year. Okay. You know, that's the thing is that, you know, it might, particularly if we do sort of dip into recession, it might make sense for gallerists to participate in 154 and in fact this is actually the thing now is that most galleries are doing you know like five or six fairs a year so it's highly competitive space now um, so I think that as an art fair organizers really now have to work quite hard to um, keep their clients because their main clients are the galleries, not really even us, the public. Um, I don't know if they really make that much off us, mm. you know, whether they're, you know, 10,000 visitors or not, which I, I haven't seen the figures yet. I'm, I'm going to request them, but I'd be interested to hear what the visitor numbers were like um, and the sales, if they'll release that, because they, they haven't done that for quite a number of years now. It definitely did feel quieter this year, though. Yeah, it was. Con it felt considerably quieter. Look, the weather was also pretty dreadful um, on Saturday and Sunday. So, yeah. and Joburgers do not go out in bad weather. Absolutely. So. <laughs> <laughs> Mary, from your research, what are the buyers like in African countries in, that are going to these African fairs, buying African art? Are the collectors often European? Uh, a, a lot of my, you know, I've got um, a sort of team of on-the-ground reporters that feed me with information. Um, and in a lot of African um, cities, it does seem that the majority of buyers have been tourists. And, you know, it's kind of like a chicken-egg situation where there's the sense that people perceive that those are the people buying the arts, so they make art for those particular clients, and then they don't really appeal to the local market. So maybe that's why the local market isn't buying, who knows. But there's definitely that relationship, and um, which does bring me back to an earlier comment around the fact that contemporary art in South Africa stagnated, is that I really think that artists are being more market-driven than they've ever been before. The art aspect often just falls away. There are a number of countries and art capitals on the continent where I'm told that the buyers are not necessarily local. So are the gallerists as well. Um, you know, in Kenya, Nairobi, um, most of the galleries are owned by what they call um, expats, which are essentially sort of, you know, white European people. You know, so that has, all has an impact in terms of who the collectors might be. Um, and that might also speak to why um, the collector base in South Africa has been um, maybe not growing at the rate we would like it to, is that um, the galleries remain um, predominantly white-owned. So that, that has an impact on future or potential collectors, I think. Well, you spoke about this briefly, um, that a lot of the big South African galleries like Stevenson, Goodman, Blank, they're very focused on attending international art fairs 
as Very. you said, about four or five a year. And these galleries are considered, you know, some of the most important spaces in South Africa. Do you see this concern with the international space as an imperative for these galleries? For them, commercially, yes. I, I think it's, it's, you know, it's kind of reached the point now where I don't think many South Africans can afford to buy work that is sold in those galleries. So in, in a way, their spaces here are kind of, They've, they've turned into museum spaces, which is why when often when you go to exhibitions, you know, at the Goodman or Stevenson, the show is just um, window dressing in a way for the real sort of trading that's actually going on, which is happening somewhere else in the world. For them, it makes absolute sense because the works now are expensive they can um, fetch a kind of premium the artists end up being more credible I think look there is a difference in those three galleries in terms of the kind of artists they represent um, the Goodman has more or less kind of arrived at this space now where they represent gal um, artists excuse me who have already got massive reputations internationally so instead of building up a South African artist to the point that the, and then you know, kind of releasing them to the international community. They're now just going and finding those international artists that have a kind of African or um, sort of connection in some vague and often it's so vague way um, and then representing them. Um, so they don't actually need to do the work in a way. They've already got that reputation. Whereas other gallerists like, say, Blank, which aren't on the same level, obviously, you know, they, I think they only became a serious gallery probably, you know, three years ago or something. I think they started out as being a project space and not really a strictly commercial entity. So, they are still growing sort of younger artists to that point and nurturing them. And I think that um, Jonathan's quite good at doing that. Um, and Stevenson, they're sort of like a mixed bag, you know, um, in a way. They take on a number of young artists. I'm you know, always often confused why they take some of them on um, because I don't think they are – I think they've reached the point now where they're out of touch with the emerging scene. They try now and then to appear to be in touch and they'll, you know, get, um, you know, Farka in or whatever to kind of create this vibe that they're in on the grassroots level. But I don't think that they are at all or intend to be or need to be, actually. They've they've cultivated um, a group of, of artists that And this is the other thing, you know, and I hear this from a lot of galleries, not just the big ones, but the small ones, too, that artists want to be shown at international art fairs. They actually put pressure on the galleries to show their work internationally. The, the art world is global. It's a global space. Um, and I think that it's, it's fantastic that it is, in a way. You know, an artist in South Africa who might not be making art that speaks to what people perceive here to be valuable art actually still has an opportunity to connect with an audience somewhere, you know? 
So I know you're busy compiling an extensive report due for release this October regarding the contemporary African arts, what you call the ecosystem, um, specifically centered around curating. Can you speak a little bit more about this report and your process of research and some of your findings? I'd always had this dream to compile an art report and I've always been interested in the sort of larger overview of things um, and analysis. So that was really um, my motivation and it felt right to start with curating because, and certainly my research has borne this out, that the development and visibility of contemporary African art on the continent and internationally has really been mostly down to the work of curators since the late 90s um, up until quite recently, though I do think that the art fairs have shifted this, um, which is addressed within the report. This kind of shift from the Biennale to the art fair has actually put curators in a rather precarious position because they're actually, there's no work for them at an art fair, really. Um, often they're just accommodated through talks programs, um, et cetera, um, rather than actually being able to have real impact or make a conversation of some sort. You know, obviously I couldn't um, track every exhibition that had ever been made. I've got a, it's a sort of decade-long retrospective from 2007 to 2017. Um, and what I chose to do was to focus on the most well-known curators. So I've identified through the study and we've done some intensive interviews Viewing with specialists from around the continent and the world, in fact, and arrived at a list of 20 um, African curators who we call the sort of top 20. And we've studied their exhibitions. So there are over 100 exhibitions that we've sort of captured and plotted as a way of discovering, you know, what have, what have the patterns been? You know, where do the curators mostly come from? Where do they go? Where do they stage their shows? What is seen as the most main motivating factor for curators um, from the continent or of African origin um, is to make African art visible. So where are they choosing to make African art visible and how are they choosing to do it? What kinds of conversations and which artists from which countries are they selecting? You know, who who are they drawing from um, in terms of creating these conversations and are there differences um, between exhibitions that these curators make in Europe uh, or the US opposed to South Africa or Nigeria or Kenya. Yeah, the methodology has been, you know, data gathering, intensive data gathering and then processing of the data through a number of different software tools and interviews and then lots of research and of course you know really relying on my reporters on the ground who who are essentially my contemporaries in different cities you describe the different spheres of this ecosystem including museums biennales art fairs art auction houses artist galleries in your research are there findings where there are preferences or, or leanings towards certain modes of working or certain platforms 
Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, that was part of the motivating factor was mm-hmm. to discover where, where, which kind of platform, not just which country or city, but what kind of platform and what different sorts of things manifest in different platforms and what sort of level of conversation, I guess, one might have around African art and what they allow for. Um, and obviously what you see at a Biennale is completely different to an art fair. Um, and not just in terms of uh, an absence or sort of presence of curating, but even in terms of the work where artists do take risks. They'll work in totally different mediums. You know, performance art, which is really actually gives expression to some of the central concerns that artists are interested in on the continent, doesn't really have a space in art fairs. And when it is sort of accommodated, it's always as entertainment, it's just clumsy, it doesn't work. There's These platforms determine a lot about not just the conversation, but even the mediums that artists work with, what sort of risks they take. And then, of course, what platforms are museum uh, directors, collectors, what are they, what platforms are they most interested in? That's also obviously what we looked at in the study. Um, where do they go? And, and what's really come through is that because the continent is so massive, obviously, and there's so many sort of art capitals on the city and so many events now and galleries, you know, you can't, nobody can go to all of these. So people are making selections. Um, they're looking at their budget and they say, okay, I can do, you know, two trips to the continent this year or maybe only one. Um, where am I going to go? Um, I can tell you that um, very few go to the Joburg Art Fair, but it's, it seems to be related to the time of year that it's on. So I think, you know, if perhaps they should have done a bit of research <laughs> uh, if they wanted to attract a different audience. It used to be in February when they first started. So Mary, how do you situate South Africa in your research amongst other African countries and what possibilities and potential is there for collaboration and cross-continental discussions to be happening? Mm, I think only within the last maybe four or five years. In fact, no, maybe I, I lie, actually, it's been a bit longer, but possibly the xenophobic attacks in 2008, which is now like a decade ago, unbelievably, um, really heightened South Africans' awareness um, that actually, you know, we don't have to try and connect and, and leave South Africa to connect to the rest of the continent. We actually, within our country, um, have many, many immigrants from different parts of the continent. And there was a real drive to try and connect, not just with the artists who were in this country, um, but also those beyond our borders. We've been doing it on and off, but I think there was a more concentrated effort. Um, and so I think that a lot of those boundaries have slowly been broken down. But of course, whenever we constructed one of those sort of situations, we always took the lead and it was always from our perspective. Um, so slowly we've started to, you know, invite curators from different parts of the continent to um 
narrate some of these um, conversations. But I think, and what has come through in the study and a number of curators from around the continent have commented on is the fact that there are very little touring exhibitions that are created on the continent and then tour the continent. I mean, there are a number of reasons why that doesn't happen. Budget is one, but also just kind of bureaucratic red tape existing between countries and travel being difficult and um, you know, no direct flights to places and all kinds of things. And then, of course, the expense and cost. You know, it's cheaper to fly to London than it is to, you know, Kenya, most probably, which is yeah. so much closer. Um, and it is what people aspire to um, in some degree to to open up the – really open up those sort of boundaries between um, the different countries on the continent. What What does come through is that – the most pan-African exhibitions don't take place on the continent. They don't. Um, so we, we're more interested in ourselves and not just South Africans, Nigerians, Kenyans. You know, there's, there's more, I think there's so much going on in, in our societies. Um, the advent of democracy, our cities are growing at enormous rates. There's so much going on within each of our countries to deal with that I think that there's a certain level of introspection that's still there. Uh, you know, the fact that we don't actually, and I guess, you know, just going back to the Joburg Cape Town art fair um, sort of conversation is that it is actually quite thrilling to go to the Cape Town art fair and see some Italian artists um, and I think that we would benefit from more. And artists would benefit, um, our collectors would benefit, everybody would benefit if we were um, not just, you know, more pan-African in our kind of view, but more international. You know, why aren't galleries uh, representing artists from Belgium or China? You know, I'm dying to see, you know, some more contemporary Chinese art. I think I've seen once in South Africa. So, you know, why, why aren't we seeing more Brazilians? That's what actually defines some of the really developed art capitals is that they are truly international in their outlook and we haven't got there yet. That's a bit of a sad note to end on. <laughs> it's kind of positive because it means that we're, you know, on our way there. We just, you know, taking us need to evolve. <laughs> cool. It does take time. It does. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mary. Thanks for joining me today. Okay, and thanks sure. for all your insights. My pleasure. Good luck. Thanks to Mary for joining me today. And to those of you who have listened, I would love to hear your thoughts on the art fair if you attended. So feel free to comment at Unframed Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Mary's research is due for release in October 2018, and I will place a link to where you can access it in the show notes. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and please don't forget to subscribe to Unframed on iTunes and give us a rating. Till next time, bye. Mm -hmm.